I'm Julie Ross. And I'm Gregory Abbey. And you're listening to the Parenting Horizons podcast. Julie is a longtime parent educator and counselor. And Greg is an actor, writer, and director, and more importantly, a parent just like you. Through conversations covering a range of different topics, challenges, and roadblocks, we hope to give you a few of Julie's tools that might just help make parenting a little bit easier. Look, nobody's perfect, and parenting is challenging, to say the least. With a few skills under our belts, though, we might just be able to be good enough parents and enjoy the journey and our children a little bit more in the process. Hi, welcome back to the Parenting Horizons podcast. That is my formal introduction. How's it going? <laughs> it's going okay. We're, we, Julie and I, are face to face for the first time in a while. Yes. So it's nice to see you. It's nice to see you too. Yeah, we've had some. We had some awesome guests. We have some guests coming up, but we have an opportunity to record together today. We were just talking about kind of all the stuff that's going on. The thing that's nice right now is, at least in New York City, it's really nice out today. It was like 60 degrees. The past couple of days, it's been about it's been 60 beautiful. and just what a literally a breath of fresh air. <laughs> well, yeah, I was wondering because you were talking about this a little bit and I am sort of a this sort of affects me. I took a run today in the park and the fact that it was 60 degrees and I had a T-shirt and shorts on, I just mentally suddenly felt much better. Yeah, 100%. And, and at least in uh, New York, certainly, like February is always rough for me. It's kind of gray and dark and cold. And I feel like on top of everything else that's been going on in terms of COVID and now the war in Ukraine, that things have just felt harder. And I'm wondering if you have, in terms of your practice and the groups and your individual counseling, because there's stuff that goes on anyway that's hard as a parent. And I'm just wondering, do, do, do you see an uptick in things lately? And what do you attribute that to? Well, yeah. I mean, I have to say that I'm getting a lot more distress calls from parents. Right. And in part because their children are on shaky ground mm -hmm. mentally. Um, but also in part because they are feeling, on, the adults are feeling on shaky ground mentally. And I think it's just a buildup of all of the events right. for the past two years that have been out of our control. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what I'm finding is that parents are holding it all in. They don't have someone who is emotionally supportive of them. The parents. The parents. Right, right. And so the kid does one little thing and the parent just explodes at the kid. Hmm. And you mean because of like the tension and anxiety mm -hmm. that's built up? Mm hmm. It like it becomes the straw that broke the camel's back. And it's right? out of proportion to what's going on in the moment. Yeah. Well, we have a saying in the psychological field that if you're hysterical, it's probably historical. There's some deeper meaning going on. Yeah, there's that something moment. that it's probably not that particular incident mm -hmm. that, you know, the kid forgot to put their glass in the dishwasher. Right. Right. It's probably not that that you're exploding at. Mm -hmm. It's probably everything that you've been holding back and and not necessarily holding back that not holding back things that were the kids fault or or that that's not the buildup but things that you're holding back emotionally in your own life 
Um, so, you know, COVID, the war. Um, February. <laughs> February <laughs> for glaze. us, for us, for sure. Oh, my gosh. When I woke up on Sunday morning and saw that the feels like temperature was 11. Oh, yeah, it's rough. I was like, are you kidding me? Well, especially because we've had a few taste of warm days. And I do believe, I mean, for me, is it seasonal disorder? I mean, I don't yeah, know that I necessarily- Seasonal affective disorder. Right. And sure, I don't know so. that I necessarily have that, but I feel a huge difference. I mean, I mentally felt so different today running outside. And I, th I think for me, what personally happens is that things get put in their proper perspective maybe a little bit and so right. i guess on top of everything else that's something what parents you know parents are dealing with too on top of just the anxiety that's built up over two years of covid which we're coming out of a bit but still kind of lingers there's a lot of unknowns there yeah i mean you told me that you had parents that recently called up that are worried about their kids potentially being drafted into a yes. war yes. Fr from the u.s from the u.s wow so that yeah. feels a little out of proportion to me, but I guess if you are, if you have some generalized anxiety anyway, it can get displaced. Oh, 100%, sure. Right. I mean, what you're really worried about is death. I mean, right. th that's just, that really is a worry about death in general. And as parents, I think we always worry that our children are going to do something that's, you know, that's going to take them from us. Right. So, you know, the idea of a kid getting drafted, all all of that fear of your child dying gets gets displaced onto that unlikely event. Event. Cuz they have to latch on to something. Yeah, because we're not in the midst of a war ourselves. Right. You know, I think after 9/11 happened here, I think there was more of a basis of for being fearful of literal death. Right. I remember not knowing if I should send my kids to school, not knowing if there were going to be car bombs or if, if we were going to be bombed in addition to the Twin Towers coming down. And, you know, my daughter told me a story. She was in middle school at the time and she took the public bus and just as the bus was getting ready to take off, there was this loud explosion. Mm. And all of the passengers, including my daughter, dove under the seats of wow. the bus. Right. And it turned out it was, uh, you know, a mentally ill person who had taken up one of the big trash cans that are on the street and hit the, ed you know, the side of the bus. Mm -hmm. But that was, you know, that brought up a very real fear. I think we all lived worrying that we were going to die, that somehow, sure. you know. Well, that, especially in New York. Yeah, especially in New York. But I, again, I think that that fear that parents carry around about their children dying, about losing a child is so primal and so deep mm. that, you know, again, fear of the draft. Right you know, when everything else seems relatively safe is where that gets put. You right. Know? Well, especially because similar to 9-11, I think parents and kids and everyone has generalized anxiety now coming out of, you know, the two years we just went through. Yeah. And now we're like barely even kind of coming out of that. Now we're dealing with the war in Ukraine. I mean, I'm glad we're doing this podcast because the other thing that always occurs to me or I think about I have a friend in private practice who sees a lot of kids. And a lot of times what my friend talks about is that 
it's it's the kids that are struggling, but the parents yeah. are not only struggling, but don't have tools. And they're always like, it's the parents that need to get some help. And I think, you know, hopefully with this and, and other things that parents can do in terms of taking care of themselves so they can show up for the kids is a lot of what we talk about, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like it's pretty much all we talk about. Right. <laughs> Right. Is, you know, how how parents can utilize a little knowledge about development, mm. child development, a little bit of knowledge about psychology and then some practical strategies and techniques. Right. You know, so that they can show up for their for their kids. I've heard parents tell me that they use these strategies on themselves. It's like they're reparenting themselves. Sure. So especially with the empathy mm-hmm. and being kind to themselves mm-hmm. and empathetic of whatever they're feeling. Right. And that heals a lot of what might have gone on in their past with their parents. Sure, right? sure. And that allows them to show up for the kids too. Right. So today we're going to do a couple of Juliisms. <laughs> and these are a few things that have come up over the years in group. I've heard you say these things n- numerous times in different contexts. And so I just wanted to delve in a little deeper on a couple of them. And we can sort of talk through what you mean and how parents can utilize them. And the first one is Zippy the Lippy. Yeah. Which I can remember from group is, you know, it comes up at different times that you're just like, zippy the lippy, zippy the lippy, for for the parents to keep that in mind is a simple phrase. And so where did that come from and what does it mean? Well, throughout the years, you know, parents have disclosed to me how they have a tendency to react as opposed to being proactive, they have a tendency to be reactive with their kids. And they've said, you know, if only I had a pause button Mm. so that before I said, you know, before I reacted and, you know, and got angry and that that flash that feels like some sort of ignition, I wish I had a pause button like you you have on your remote for your your television. So Zippy the Lippy is the pause button. It literally means close your mouth and don't say anything. Hmm. And within that pause, and that pause can be 15 seconds, that pause can be a whole day, but within that pause, you're able to examine your own feelings, try to figure out where those feelings are coming from. Like we just said, um, there's a bill, often a buildup that sure. that creates a reaction that really doesn't have so much to do with what's going on right then and there. Right. So it allows you to examine your own feelings. It allows you to ask yourself whether or not what you're going to do or say is going to hurt or help your relationship with your child. Right. Because keeping in mind that relationship is at the center of being able to influence our children. Hmm. What and do you what do you mean when you say that? Relationship is at the center of us being able to influence our children, meaning that if you have a strong empathetic connective relationship, ideally, I mean obviously it can't be that way all the time that you have a better chance of influencing them? Is that what you mean? That they look at you as a partner in this as opposed to, you know, doling out the punishment? Like, what do you mean when you say that? Well, what I mean is 
relationship allow a good relationship allows us to be in our children's heads hmm. when they're not with us. Hmm. And I think most parents, even parents who have studied, you know, the techniques that I teach from the very get-go, most parents adopt a a controller, semi-control parenting style okay. when kids are little. And if you think about it, it's just like, you know, you got a two-year-old and and you say you have a choice, you can either hold my hand or sit in the stroller. Right. Well, both of those are, you can control your child's body at that age, Sure. right? So the child doesn't hold your hand, you say, I see you've chosen to be in the stroller and you pick them up because they're pick upable at two, you know, and you plop them in, in, in the stroller. All of that has to shift. I mean, I would hope that parents are always working on the relationship with their kid. I mean, from the very beginning, because mm-hmm. because control is never the answer. Right. Um, it's sometimes necessary when your kids are little and, you know, when you have to move quickly to keep them safe. Sure. So I would always hope that parents are putting relationship first. But where it really shifts is when they become tweens and teens mm-hmm. because they're not pick upable anymore. Right. We can't plop them in the stroller if we don't like what they're doing. Right. They have enough independence. They have enough freedom. They have enough sometimes expendable cash sure. you know, that they can kind of go do what they want. So at that point, what we want to do is have an open, communicative relationship with them that is healthy um, so that when they're out there and they're faced with the choices of vaping and and smoking weed and sex, uh, sex and, you know, all of those choices that come up. That they have us kind of on their shoulder. Well, and I also think in terms of our values, right? Because sometimes when you say that, it, it I, I'm reminded that it, it doesn't mean, because control and boundaries can get sort of mixed up. It doesn't mean as a parent, you, you don't have some boundaries with your kids. Oh, yeah, no. But, right. and, but that's different than yes. trying to control them, you know, everything they do and, and make it a sort of one-sided dynamic. Right. Well, ultimately... I I heard this before my children were tweens and teens. Somebody said, or I read it somewhere, that once your children become teenagers, you no longer have control. Hmm. Any control. And I thought, that's ridiculous. Not me. I'm going to I'm going right. to still have control. Well, mm, I was disabused of that notion pretty darn quickly. But you don't need control when they get to be independent as long as you have influence. Right. As long as you've taught your values in a non-punitive way, as long as you have given them responsibility for their own actions so that you're not punishing them, it's they're making choices and they understand that those choices are related to the consequences of those choices. Yeah, I'm just thinking of this you know a lot of parents, my daughter's friends and I've heard of other parents have this Life 360 is this app that's kind of a tracking app. Oh, yeah. And I personally don't really believe in that. And I and I think if I wonder why, to me, it's kind of like trust until trust is broken. Yes. Because I think, you know, and you tell me, because you obviously have more experience with this, is that it seems like the idea oftentimes is the tighter that screw is with the kid, the more you try to kind of put on that control 
uh, without kind of having it be a back and forth. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean you don't have boundaries and values and expectations for the child, but that they rebel against that. And and you know, my experience with my own kids is that when I give them some freedom, some agency, some responsibility, um, they respond better to that than you going. You know, you cannot do this. I mean, at oftentimes in terms of drugs or sex or curfews or whatever right. it is. My experience with my own kids and with friends and families is the tighter that is, the worse it is. So I think with our own kids, they don't have curfews. We don't track their every movement, but they know like, hey, they need to be in touch. Hey, they can't show up at four in the morning. I would probably put on Life 360 maybe if all of that happened. I don't know. Does does that make sense what I'm saying? Like, is that sort of the idea? Yeah, I, I well, Life 360, I, I don't believe in it either. Um, I don't believe in tracking your child. I think maybe an argument could be made for using it as a consequence. Right. If they do break trust and sure. don't let you know like lie, when they're moving uh, from one yeah, place to Yeah, and lie about another. their whereabouts and sneak around and Yeah. But as a general practice, I think not only is it controlling, but it's if I think it falls under the the umbrella of overprotection, right, right, and overprotection is a well known discourager, literally robbing them of confidence and courage and maturity, right? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. So if they feel like you're constantly tracking them, <laughs> you're right. First of all, they're going to want to rebel against that. But second of all, it diminishes their self-esteem because they start to think, well, mom and dad don't believe in me. Or that, I, that I'm that i not mature enough or I have the responsibility enough or the ability to take care of myself and make responsible decisions. And I understand there's a line between like, it's not a free-for-all, right. but like you gotta, you've gotta kind of ride that line between that, right? So yes. they have some freedom and responsibility, but you also obviously have some boundaries and values you're trying to impart. Because I think sometimes parents might get caught up in listening to us that we feel like it's like, it, you know, you give them all the power. It's, it, it's more, it feels like to me, what you always talk about is that there's this kind of open dialogue where they feel they have some agency yes. and a part in the decision-making. Even if you don't agree with them, that they at least have a voice in you know what occurs yeah no i i and i'm glad you said that greg about you know our listeners might think oh we're we err on the side of permissive parenting i i am not a permissive i was not a permissive parent at all um there were very clear guidelines for my kids very clear boundaries and they knew if they stepped over that boundary there would be a consequence right The difference, though, I think, between the kind of parenting that I teach and kind of, quote unquote, instinctive parenting, you know, parents who just say, I'm going to use my instincts. Right. Kind of the fly by the seat of your pants. Right. Exactly. Is that the way that I structure setting boundaries in a family um, involves children being made aware that when they make a choice, Mm -hmm. a consequence will happen. Not because mommy or daddy are are mean or whatever, but because in choosing this particular behavior, they're also choosing the consequences for their behavior. Sure. So we try to align consequences 
logically in a relationship with whatever the behavior is so that it's similar to a natural consequence. Right. So so if 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 they you you have a general idea of what the curfew is and the child shows up at 4 in the morning, obviously there's going to be a consequence to that. And maybe the consequence is you know, if two weeks in a row they go where they to a party that they said they weren't going to be at and you really just have an idea. I mean, I, I guess I'm talking about my own kids because we just have a general they don't have to check in with us every second. But, hey, you know, as, and it's always different where you live. I mean, New York City is more specific to. Well, maybe that's not true. This is true in suburbia, too. Like, I just need to have a sense of where you are and what you're doing. And then if you abuse that, then, yeah, there's going to be a consequence. And I guess you're saying that. If they know that that's the setup, that ideally they're not going to push back against that or kids are going to push back looking for the boundary, right? Right, exactly. It's a It brings the whole process to a much more conscious state for the kids so that kids are thinking through, is this choice worth the consequence? Right. You know, and again, you know, natural consequences, we don't blame somebody else for the natural consequences that we suffer mm-hmm. like if i touch a hot stove who am i going to blame but myself or if i don't study for the test and i fail it it's that's the natural consequence precisely right? Right. precisely and so if 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 parents can create that alignment you know and within a healthy open you know communicative relationship right with their child then then they're much less likely to get pushback. Well, and also even what you just said is that I think that's what you're saying is that moment of the child having the opportunity to say, okay, what choice am I going to make here? Like they have some agency over what's happening. Like the, the parent has expressed the value, a potential consequence they sort of understand as opposed to it being so one-sided that the, the parent has dictated everything. Right. I'm tracking your every move. I will know where you are at all times as opposed to now the child has some agency, which just, I would think, contributes to them <laughs> growing up. Right, exactly. And that's ultimately that's our job is to create human beings who think for themselves, mm. right? Who, who think about the choices that they're making, the possible consequences of those choices, and figuring out if it's a, you know, I mean, almost everything in life requires risk. Sure. Walking down the block, you know, it has risks associated with it, at least here in New York. But being able to say, I know what I want to do, is it worth the risk? I mean, the ultimately, the, the definition of courage is the ability to take a known risk for a known purpose. And you're hoping that your kids can develop that. Right. Well, again, if we're overprotecting them, Mm -hmm. we're sending them the, the exact opposite message. We're sending them the message that... You're incapable. You're incapable. It's too risky. I don't trust you. I mean, there's so many messages that go along with that Life 360 thing. Right. And and BS, 
you know what? They know how to pause well, that's their the location. Thing. I, th- I think when you really lock down on something, that's that's as soon as kids figure out how to maneuver all that of stuff, course. right? And it's so easy. I mean, it's apparently easy to pause your location on Life 360. So it gives, you know, the parents a false reading about where you are. I've, I've known kids in the suburbs who will take their phone and drop it off in a friend's sure. mailbox. Right, right. So it you looks know, like and then there. go do whatever they want to do. So so if that's the achievement is you want to set up this dynamic, is it the idea then that the parents are there as guidance as guidance to for values and ideas. So you're hopefully keeping this open line of dialogue. So not only does the child have agency but they're going to come back to you when they have questions? Like, what is yeah. the parent's purpose then? Yeah. that Well, you know, here's what's interesting. Um, and it goes back to what, you know, what you were saying before about we don't want the listeners to think that we are free for all at all. It reminds me that discipline is a part of parenting, mm-hmm. right? So setting those boundaries and those limits. The word discipline comes from a root word that is shared with the word disciple. So what that means is that our children are our students and we are their teachers, hmm. right? They are our disciples. That's just what that means. So if we if we take that context, discipline has to be part of how we're raising these kids. Mm-hmm. And the open dialogue is so that so that we have the ability and the relationship. Let me go back to that. The idea of having a good relationship means that we're able to communicate our values still within a disciplinary framework. That right. there are still boundaries because they're not adults yet. Sure. That they can't cross, you know, that they have to check in or whatever and that they can't drink 5,000 shots or whatever. There, there are limits, 100%. Right. And... If they are in trouble or they find themselves in a position where they're uncomfortable, they have to know that the relationship is healthy so that they can come back and tell us if they're in trouble. Right, right. Uh, you know, if they can ask questions if right. they're concerned. So it's it's a both and a situation. It's not permissive parenting and it's not autocratic parenting. It is authoritarian parenting i don't know is that the same thing as autocratic yeah i don't know authoritarian makes me feel more like one person is really in control which Mm -hmm. i mean i think you would say that the parent is in control but to me it's always about this it always comes back to hopefully ideally having this open uh dynamic so that they don't walk around petrified so they won't come to you when they feel like I screwed up or I'm struggling or I made a mistake or I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean you don't have boundaries and there aren't consequences to actions, but that you have this this open dialogue. That That's what you're kind of looking for. Um, I want to circle back to Zippy the Lippy a little bit because- I was just going to do that That's too. okay. We, we, yeah, <laughs> we were thinking- we got, we got off a good track. <laughs> I, I mean, there were two things that you said that reminds me of other things we've talked about is that- I love this idea. So Zippy the Lippy, you said, is basically like you're taking time to think about what you might say, especially in the moment if you're if you're overheated, if it's kind of dramatic, because you've also often said, you've said this repeatedly, that most times it's not a four alarm fire. 
Oh, yeah. So you don't in the moment have to fix it, solve it, respond, especially if you feel jumbled up about it. And you said when you when I've heard you in the group say zippy the lippy, zippy the lippy, the idea is that take some time to think about what you want to say, what's going on. You know, if there is a consequence, what should it be that you would say you could even say to the kid like, listen, I I need to think about this for a minute and we're going to circle back and talk about it later. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Zippy the lippy prevents us from being punitive or overreactive i guess well overreactive but also if you think about it when when we're reacting and you know we hit that flashpoint and we and we just kind of say whatever is coming to our minds right. it's usually punitive in sure. nature what you know it's like you know it attacks the child right you know you always or you never or i can't believe you did right. blah, blah. so it's you messages which are by their nature, attacking or feel sure. like they're attacks. And it erodes the trust of uh, between the parent and the child and, and the relationship because it well, is Well, it's one-sided attacking. too. Exactly. Then I mean, I think the whole thing we always talk about is that it even, even when you're upset and angry and the kid is screwed up, that it's still about curiosity and listening, which, listen, I mean, I've, I've done it a million times that I've overreacted and shouted yeah. in the moment and said, give me your phone. You <laughs> right. lost your phone for six months. <laughs> so I'm not trying to say like I do it perfectly, but I think that's the thing you're always shooting for is that even in those moments when you're upset so the child doesn't shut down or feel like, okay, now I just sit here and take it, Yeah, that you kind of get to the crux of like, what is going on? Like, yeah, right? Oh, yeah. And that kind of, I think, also brings up for me um, the idea of underreact. So that's it's it, it's not dissimilar from mm. Zippy the Lippy, right? Uh, can I say? Can I yeah. ask one more thing about Zippy the Lippy sure. before we move to underreact, which I think is um, you've said is they're they're kind of meshed together. I mean, the other thing I feel like you talk about often, and this makes me think of Zippy the Lippy, is that. Parents have an impulse to over talk often. Yes. That yes. way, way too much words, the kid gets flooded, or you're trying to over explain and you go on and on and on and on. And I feel like often you say less. And is that that feels to me kind of connected to Zippy the Lippy? It's like not that you don't say something, but often parents will monologue, especially when they're upset. And then oh, yeah. I mean, would you say like half of that stuff just doesn't even go in? Right. Oh, I, I probably more than half of it doesn't go in because I, I have a kind of a 12 to 13 word rule that you want to keep your, especially your disciplinary or limit setting communication to 12 or 13 words or less because they they just shut off. It just becomes this this tidal wave it's like charlie brown (laughs) charlie brown exactly it's it's a tidal wave and they're like okay i can't you know and they just and so you're wasting your breath Mm -hmm. and then you feel irritated later because they don't didn't hear you but it's really over talking creates non-listening so we do have to be careful and it's not a call to 911 as you said before we have we have much more when your kids are little, right? All bets are off. Sure. Like, you know, that a two year old is likely more likely to run into the street. Sure, sure. You know, than than a twelve year old. So it does have more of a sense of urgency when they're mm-hmm. little, but as they grow up, 
it's usually not a call to 911. It's usually, you know, they're they're coming home and they're saying, you know, I want to get a tattoo or I'm going to or I'm going to get a piercing or uh hey, can I go on a two-week vacation by myself to the Bahamas? Right. Or I stopped and dyed my hair and it was $200. Or can I dye my hair? It's $200, please. Will you pay for it? I right. have to go right now. I made the appointment. <laughs> Exactly. Right. Are you insane? <laughs> so maybe that wouldn't be the response. Pro- pro- probably not, <laughs> although it might be the response that we automatically have, right? right? But that's where Zippy the Lippy comes into to play, right? And understanding, look, it kids can make things feel urgent. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. And they can pound you. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I, I was talking to a client the other day who's... I said a version of just say no <laughs> uh, to right. you know to the kid about something, and and they said no, you don't understand. My kid will go after you and after you and after you and a- until you wear down. And I said, I do understand. I've had ch- have had children of my own, right? And moreover, that's most kids, right? They. They make it seem urgent and either. So what do you do when you're, because my kids have pounded too. You zippy the lippy. Right. You know, part, So you don't get into some crazy back and forth that's heated and over the top. You, exactly. You don't match their urgency. Exactly. And part of your response can be, if you have to have an answer now, the answer will be no. It's you mean because you. you might have time, you need to think it through and. Exactly. And it's okay to say that, right? Of course it's right. okay to I mean, say it's, that. I mean, it's like you said, I've, I've talked to my wife about this because one of our kids has, has done this a lot lately. And you can really get caught up in it, feeling like, oh my God, I got to decide this because they're like mm-hmm. hammering, hammering, hammering. And I think you'd say, it's okay to say like, we're not doing this. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy to talk about it, but we're we're if you need it now that it's not happening. Right. And sometimes it's not, sometimes it's not even... If you need it now, it's not happening. Sometimes the answer is going to be no. That's part right. of being able, being a parent, sure. being able to set the boundaries. And and I think parents need to realize that kids only do what works. So oh. if you've got a kid that pounds you and pounds you and pounds you. And you break down eventually. You have to ask yourself, right. how is that working for the kid? Right. What's the payoff? I mean, they're only going back to it if it's been successful. Correct. And it only has had only has to have been successful one time for them to go for back them to the to well, go back. especially if it was something good. Let exactly. me ask you, I want to ask you a, a real world scenario. Sure. As it relates to Zippy the Lippy. Um, and then I do want to talk a little bit about underreact, which is connected. So this occurred with one of my kids and this is connected to food, which is a whole nother kind of issue that we actually just did two episodes on that people should listen to. So the scenario, and I thought about Zippy the Lippy because I literally didn't say anything, and that two nights in a row, I had brought home food and brought home food for this child as well. And so we were eating together, the two of us, and my wife was there, but she had already eaten, and the child was eating so fast, like not even breathing, like shoveling, shoveling, shoveling. And I wanted to say to them, you know, I wanted to say something because it was very uncomfortable and it, it just felt something was, it wasn't right. I just felt like you needed to slow down, whatever was going through my head. And my wife and I were catching each other's eye because I think she saw it going on too. 
food is such a sensitive topic yeah. and I didn't end up saying anything at all. And I guess I guess I'm just wondering in that in that scenario, would it have been okay for me to say to them, hey, you need to slow down? What do I, what do you, cause I, I was, I felt stuck. I knew that mm -hmm. I, with food in particular, you certainly don't go on and on and you don't want them to feel shamed. And I ended up saying zero. Was that correct? What, you know, here, here, you know, the, this is where we get into the weeds, right? Food is too sensitive a subject to so you think nothing. Say something. Better yeah. off not to say anything at all. That they come to it on their own. Because I think ultimately with food, like, is it really just mostly get um, translated to shame unless you're really delicate about it or? Oh, it's so complex. Um, part of it has to do with part of the reason we want to avoid conversations about or corrections, right? Corrections about eating eating, how our child is eating, how quickly they're eating, how slowly they're eating, what they're eating, how much they're eating, how little they're eating. We want to avoid correcting because they're getting so many messages around both eating and body weight and physical appearance from the media, right? Right. I mean, I forget how what the i think they're it's something like people are exposed to like 50,000 media messages per day which if you think about it you know when i first heard that statistic it's, i was that's like insane. that's insane but if you count i mean if you start counting you get up pretty high pretty quickly right. uh, unless you're isolated in your home um like with covid but the average child the average human being is getting message after message after message about what I should look like, what I should eat, what my weight should be, that if we do anything that kind of, that criticizes what they are doing with food, we become part of the problem as opposed to part of the solution. Right. And you combine that with the, the fact that, you know, when our children are born, food and nurturing and love and comfort are all intertwined mm -hmm. because you the way you feed a baby unless you've adopted an older child right. right but the way you feed a baby is whether by bottle or by breast you're holding that child close to you they feel your heartbeat they hear your words of love they feel the comfort of the food going in so it winds up that food equals love sure. for them, uh, love of, of their parents. So when we criticize them for how they're eating, I think two things happen. One is that we are communicating that there's a part of them that we don't love. Right. And it and and the way it translates for them is probably body image and uh you know and weight and two i also think that it sends uh it disconnects them from their personal experience with food sure um cuz ultimately what we want our kids to do is is self regulate well it comes back to the same thing with agency as i think about it it's it's what we just touched on earlier in this conversation it's sort of the same idea i think of you know you 
placing some dictatorial, this is how you do it, so they don't have agency. Because right. my wife has even said, like, they need to come to it on their own. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And so all of that makes sense. It's very deep, but I actually think that's probably really true, that it's connected in this kind of primal way. Yeah. And so I guess you would say, in terms of Zippy the Lippy, when it comes to food especially, Zippy the Lippy, and you know, we have done some very deep diving episodes on this issue that, yes. that people should definitely listen to. Um, but that's great. I, I was just curious, and that was my instinct, was like, don't say anything at all. And it was really hard because also I was sitting next to her and it was just like, it was hard for me to enjoy my own food, but I thought, and I know that this <laughs> child in particular has been dealing with some anxiety around stuff that's going on in her life and school and and I know that that's what it was connected to. And and I remember, like I said, my, my wife said later on, like, she's going to she's going to come to it on her own, you know. Right. Um, or maybe maybe she was just really hungry. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, and again, like I think maybe it's also she didn't have a big lunch. Or well, that's whatever. the thing. And again, I think it's also that that brings me right to like what's going on with me that I'm uncomfortable is it my own thing? And can I take a moment to say, like, why is this making me so uncomfortable? And should it? And would it? And um, yeah, and it's hard. Zippy the Lippy well, that's what Zippy the Lippy allows us to do. That's what Zippy the Lippy is, because you're saying in the moment, you're not impulsively going, don't do that. Or like, uh, uh, yeah. you know, that you're taking a moment to think about it. Yeah. And if it hadn't been around food, and it was something that needed to be addressed, the Zippy the Lippy gives you the opportunity to think about how to address it, and you can circle back. Right, right. You it's know, not a four alarm fire. It's not a four alarm fire. It's not a fire at all. No. We, we, you know, we can come back to it and say, you know, I've been thinking about it and not around food. <laughs> Let's reiterate that. Not right, when it's around right, food. Right. But if it was something that you did need to address, you know, then you, you, these are thinking beings with memories that are able to. Yeah, of course. And I think you circle back is another huge one that we talk about all the time. And it's about taking the time. I think also. You know, you've already mentioned in this episode the you, 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 you. The yes. more you can keep it on yourself and I statements that the person, because anyone who's like, you do this and you do that and you do this is like, <laughs> I mean, we've all been on the other side of that. Of course, you're going to feel defensive and shut down. And yeah, um, I think the zippy the lippy gives you the time, ideally, to take some time and think about how you feel and come at it from that perspective in like a calm way. And when I say calm way, I guess I'm connecting it to, you know, we can finish up with talking a little bit about underreact, which is connected to this. It's like when we were, you know, giving that little anecdote about your your child pounding and pounding and pounding and you getting caught up in that moment and going, no, 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 and pounding back too. Yeah. And you would say, what do you mean when you say underreact? Well, I mean, Zippy the Lippy is, is one way of underreacting, right? But another way is to make sure that your facial expression and your body language isn't communicating the tension that you might feel in a moment. Hmm. So, you know, my son, when they were in middle school, maybe, came and told my husband and myself that they were going to, that they were not going to go to college. They'd made this decision. Hmm. They were not going to go to college. They were going to ride the rails. What do you mean? Like like a hobo going <laughs> like, on trains exactly. across the country? Stick. <laughs> stick wow. Bandana, uh -huh. food in there, jumping on the trains. You know, and that would have been an easy <laughs> thing to react to, either with laughter. Right, right, right. right. Or with derision right. or with criticism. Mm-hmm. But 
we underreacted. So Did we you? just said, yeah, we said, oh, that's that's interesting. Tell me more. Right. What what appeals to you about that? And Did it fall away? They t- yeah, they they went to college. Um, but they talked about the travel aspect of it. Right. They thought, oh, it would be so fun to travel. And we were like, wow, it does sound like it would be fun to travel. You know, and again, we're holding back. We want to just go. Yeah, all Are your you worry, an idiot. Yeah, all you your know? worry and anxiety. Right. Which I think, again, like it ties back into the more you press, the more they because I think sometimes it allows that stuff to fly away, to fall away when this is true of anyone. Like when you feel heard, like you were able yeah. to say to them, you know, what do you mean? Tell me more. And so they they could express themselves and how it felt to them and what they wanted to do. Yeah, exactly. As opposed to you going, no. Uh, right, exactly. And we were like, you know, I think traveling sounds like a great idea. When you get to that point, you know, if that if traveling is something that you'd like to do and postpone college or, you know, or whatever, that would be great. And then it does fall away. They don't have anything to push against. Right. So they don't get fixated on it. So just being able to say, huh, that's interesting. Or when, you know, my daughter came home in high school and announced that her friend had gotten, a, I guess it was a belly button ring. Mm. and how cute it was and that you know she said i want to get a belly button ring and and i'm right you know now it's so common sure sure you know but back then it was like kind of a new thing so i was kind of horrified um and i was like oh that's i said that's interesting what kind of belly button ring does your friend have oh it's this little frog or whatever you know a flower or something um and it's so cute and you know i really want to get one and i said well you know what that's something that we can do we can discuss we right. can you know we let's do a little bit of research on because i don't know anything about piercing except for ear piercing and ultimately that kind of just soft approach right of, i'm not going to react with whatever horror i might feel in the moment for whatever they're coming back with, allows me to, and the kid to focus on research and decide really if that's something they want to do. And, you know, and I want to go back to what we've said a couple of times. It doesn't mean as the parent that you aren't event, exactly. It doesn't mean that you agree. I mean, it's almost better. You're not saying yes or no. You're like, tell me more, which is something you say all the time. Yep. Uh, right. So yeah. it, it, you're not you can let it play out. And yeah, sometimes like, you know, with your son that then maybe it falls away when they they don't have anything to push back against. Right. And maybe they won't, but at least they have the opportunity to explore it. And again, I think it ties back to what we've talked a lot about in this episode is letting the child feel like they have some agency in the discussion. And right. it's not about you dictating what will happen. I mean, it doesn't mean you're going to say, yes, you can get a belly button ring. I mean, eventually you might have said, like, when it came down to it, you might have said, like, I'm this isn't going to happen. Right. I mean, I you know, when it came down to it, I would have said, you know, listen, that kind of piercing, I think. Think you have to be eighteen mm. back then. You certainly did um, to get that kind of any piercing except ears, right? Even a cartilage piercing, I think you had to be eighteen for. But I, you know, I could have, I, I would have come down to, you know, I'm not comfortable with this, right? At this moment, there's room for infection, right, and right. you know, you have to really take care of it. 
um, let's bring, you know, let's revisit bring it. it, revisit it in six months. Yeah. And I just want to say, as we sort of wrap up, is that it's not easy. I mean, because even as you're sort of telling me some of these stories, like my own fear and anxiety around yes. imagining them, it's not easy. Like, no. of course you want to react because in that moment, you're all of this stuff is churning up. But I think ideally that's what you're pushing towards yeah. with underreact and zippy the lippy. Um, yeah, let's just... I mean, let's just wrap up. I mean, is that the main, like, if you take, what should parents take away from this conversation in terms of Zippy the Lippy that in underreacting and listening and not going on and on is the main thing with Zippy the Lippy that, what, that you are giving the child some agency in that discussion? What is it? Um, well, with Zippy the Lippy, again, I go, I go back to it, you know, the analogy of it, it's a pause button. It gives you, the parent, time to think about what is the most effective way to address this. Because you always talk about that all the time, too. It's That's the goal, is how to be an effective parent. Right. Not a good parent or a bad parent. There's no judgment here, right? But effective is really has to be our goal. How do I say this in a way that allows me to set the boundaries and be the disciplinarian and create a relationship and, you know, get my kid to not take big risks and impart your values and impart your va my values. Right. So it's all about effective means, you know, the, the word effective, I think it, there's two aspects to it. The first question is you ask is what I'm doing working, hmm. right? If it's not working, it's not effective. <laughs> I think that's probably clear. But the second question is, what am I teaching my child? So you can be effective in terms of getting a behavior to stop in a variety of very unhealthy ways, sure. right? But what are you teaching your child about relationships, about power, about agency, you know, as you've said, about taking responsibility for your own actions. What am I teaching my child when I respond this way? So Zippy the Lippy is the opportunity for a parent to say, okay, say nothing. And underreacting is its companion, hmm. let's say. Certainly, if you're zipping the Lippy, you are underreacting. But underreacting is when it might look strange or it might feel strange or awkward to not say anything at all. Mm-hmm. So instead, you say, huh, or for years, my clients have said that my favorite word is wow, like wow. Your favorite word. My favorite word mm -hmm. in rea in underreacting to my children, which I just have to, to put a pause and say that that backfired because at one point, I guess my son didn't tell me something, but I found out and I said, well, I'm curious why you didn't tell me anything. And they said, well, you just would have said, wow. Guess you used it a few too many times. <laughs> I think I used it way too many times. <laughs> so it failed me in the end. But something along those lines, you know, huh, or tell me more is a good underreaction. Right. Right. right? Great. So it sounds like this is a great one. It's an easy phrase to remember, too, for parents to keep in their back pocket. Yes. And use a lot. Yes, exactly. 
Thanks for listening to the Parenting Horizons podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share with your family and friends. And if you'd like to hear more about Julie's work, join one of her parenting groups, or see about individual counseling, please visit ParentingHorizons.com. Or you can email Julie at julie.ross at ParentingHorizons.com. See you next time.